0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Political State from the Oklahoman. I'm Ben Felder, and in today's episode, we're going to be talking about a budget proposal and how it's landing at the Capitol. We'll also be keeping an eye on the federal government budget shutdown, which seems to be changing as the minutes pass. But first, let me introduce our guest in this week's episode, which is Julia Kurt. She is executive director of Oklahomans for the Arts and is also a Democratic candidate in Senate District 30 here in Oklahoma City. Julia, Glad thanks so much here. for being here. Thank I you. Appreciate it. For me. So, uh, let's first talk about this campaign. So, you're running in Senate District 30. This is a Northwest Oklahoma City mm-hmm. district currently held by Senator David Holt, who is running for, for mayor. Yeah. Uh, that election is actually in a few weeks um and should he win he will that seat will be vacant mm-hmm. um, and so you're running for that that open seat uh, like i said you are the democratic candidate there's six republicans mm-hmm. so right now uh, not too focused on the primary you're focused on on november but uh, how how's the campaign going so far you
1: know it's been great i really i mean it was great advantage that i knew that senator holt was going to be leaving um so long ago so it helped me get started and get prepared and i've gotten to, i've been knocking doors since july so I've met thousands of people already, so I get to hear from all of them. And hearing that early is really helping me understand what people are facing, what, they're, what they understand about what's going on at the state legislature. Yeah. It's been great.
0: And so what are some of the most common, I mean, I, we probably can guess, but uh, what are some of the most common things you're hearing from voters? Well, the, the biggest process?
1: thing is dysfunction and distrust. So people really feel like, why, why can't more get done? Why aren't we seeing? They don't feel like they're being represented. Or that it's that the legislature is really serving Oklahomans. Um, they've, many of them feel like there's special interests at play, and that you know the budget's being decided by those special interests.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about that for a second. You mentioned mm-hmm. the budget. Um, you know, there's been over the last year, two years, however, you know, longer than that, the budget has been kind of the the, the key mm-hmm. sticking point. It just continues to. To get more of a a focus, the legislature is going to go into the session trying to, and we're still trying to solve last year's budget, trying to get ahead of next year's budget. Um, The most recent thing to come out is is this kind of budget proposal from some various Mm -hmm. business leaders. Um, Are the specifics of that being discussed by voters at all? Are they aware of this? Or kind of what things are you hearing from them on
1: that? You know, I haven't knocked doors this week yet, so it hadn't really been out in the public. I'm going to predict they won't have heard about it because most people have a very scant. Um, knowledge base they're usually yeah. just hearing brief things on TV or from friends about what's not happening but what I've heard from people is just they don't understand where the money goes mm-hmm. and that they're not sure that we're gonna make any decisions that last many people are not sure we can ever change it yeah. um, so that's a lot of what I'm trying to say is it's not a process we can give up on mm-hmm. even if we're frustrated like the budget is the expression of our state's values yeah and I think that's why it's so challenging all the time it's not some people believe there's truly just common sense answers out there that we should just enact Um, but I know that it's always going to be a tense decision right so yeah. it's that balance of how we're communicating with the public about what's going on
0: yeah mm-hmm. it's important to note like I said you' you're the lone Democrat candidate so you're not necessarily focused on Democratic doors right now I mean your eyes towards November so you're talking to uh, voters in the general election so you're probably right. getting kind of a, a a wider range of opinions and you may if you were focusing on that primary so you mentioned that you have some voters that are you know they they believe the problem is there's you know there's enough money it's just not being spent mm-hmm. wisely when it comes to various tax uh, increase proposals are there certain areas that you're hearing voters talk about whether it's you know gross production tax or, or wind or income tax or whatever is it or is it just kind of across the board
1: yeah I think there's a lot of people that don't feel like oil and gas is paying enough for this that, that, do or that they are not no, okay. paying enough I think that people see it as you know here's a one-time resource that our state has um, and they're concerned they see the profits that oil and gas makes and, and feel like maybe it's not fair. Um, you know, I just talk a lot about, I feel like we have to look at the whole picture. I think some of the work done around analyzing tax credits has been good, but are we going to listen to the research, you know? There's, some of the results have come back, and, and the task force hasn't accepted that information. So I think we, even when we study issues, we don't always accept that kind of the recommendations given to us based on facts, you know.
0: Yeah. So, Senate District 30, you've got a a little bit of work cut out for you in terms of talking to voters because this is like a C-shaped district in northwest Mm -hmm. Oklahoma City, so it's kind of an interesting shaped district and a lot of them are. Um, You know, what we've seen in recent years is the Democrats have had some success in the northwest part of the city, Um, you know, kind of slowly kind of moving out especially in these kind of transitioning districts Um, how would you describe your district i mean how how much in play do you feel like it is for democrats i mean i know you obviously uh believe you have a shot at this but how much do you feel like this district is transitioning or or why do you feel like democrats have a shot at this
1: well i mean i'll leave the detailed analysis to my campaign managers because they're really the data nerds on it but i mean it's a district that there are more registered republicans than democrats there's something like 17% independence. So if independents show up, they're gonna be a significant factor in this race. You know, one thing I look at is that the the last round of state questions, that these voters voted overwhelmingly against 777, the right to farm, and they voted for criminal justice reform. So even though maybe they were voting for um, President Trump, That didn't mean that those specific issues filtered into everything they voted on. I think there were some real reasoned decisions there. So what I'm finding when I talk to people is very interested, engaged voters who, of all spectrums, and and they seem willing, I don't know if it's this political season, but they seem willing to talk to me even if they say they don't normally vote for a Democrat. Um, Certainly I don't lead with my party. I feel like I just tell everyone I'm not there to represent a party. It's an important part of the process, but I try to emphasize trying to listen to them. So... I'm really mindful, though, that I'm only talking to voters. You know, I mean, that's part of campaigning is you're not out talking to everyone. Um, So I am talking to the people that are more engaged.
0: Yeah. So beyond the budget, what are some other issues that come up that you're here?
1: Well, the biggest thing is education, which is really what pushed me to run. Um, You know, seeing it up close with my kids in school and then seeing it at the statewide level really is what got me motivated. And, you know, people are concerned. They care about kids. They want to know what's going to happen in the future. Some of them will say, well, my kids aren't in school, but I still care about how that affects this neighborhood. A lot of the neighborhoods I've been in lately, you know, I'm over in Bethany, where acres, um, and it stretches up into the village. But I've been over in Bethany the last couple of weeks, and there's a lot of people who have seen changes in their neighborhoods. So there's been changes, like people who've lived there since the houses were built. Literally, I'm talking to lots of folks like that, and they tend to be older and white. Um, and it's more ethnically diverse in their neighborhoods, and so a lot of people are grappling with that. I'm trying to understand it, trying to understand who people are, what the differences are.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you about, you You talk about uh, one of the reasons you decided to run. So you, you lead a nonprofit, an arts nonprofit. Um, I think when we, when you, if I remember, um, you and I had a chance to talk last year early on in your campaign, and um, we were kind of joking that, uh, you know, in past years you've seen the Teachers' Caucus and whether or not there might be a nonprofit co- caucus. Mm-hmm. And I, I bring it up to say, you know, I guess there is a little bit of a, of a unique perspective a lawmaker would bring in leading a nonprofit. What, what do you think that unique perspective would be?
1: Well, you know, nonprofits—the bottom line is focused on some kind of community improvement or social good. And I do think we're about bringing the community together to improve. So, you know, my background is about trying to get people around ideas and goals together, which happens to be in the arts or arts education right now. Um, but I think it can take place in any issues. I think nonprofits are used to having the community in in mind first, and I do think. know, we talk a lot about wanting government to run like a business. And I understand that the best parts of business, efficiency, you know, goal minded, etc. And I think, but we also need that bottom line to know that the reason we're doing it is for the public good. You know, we wouldn't come together if we didn't think we could do things better as a community rather than individually. Um, So to me, that's nonprofits think that way because we're a community owned, basically. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And what about kind of, uh, I mean, your passion for the arts? I mean, how much Mm -hmm. is that playing a part of your campaign at all?
1: Well, you know, it's been interesting because it's real varied how much people know about the arts. I've talked to artists. I've talked to people who understand arts education. Certainly, almost all the educators I talk to and when I bring up arts education, they inherently know how important that is to a kid's day and to their overall education. Even if they don't teach the arts, yeah. um, that's been huge. Um, so it's really varied. Um, yeah. I think sometimes people may participate in the arts, but they don't necessarily use the same language, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, so, not a lot of people ask me great detail about it. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, kind of finally, I, I, I always find it interesting to talk to people who are campaigning because, you know, you're, you're it, it, and when you're running for the state legislature, it truly is a, a street game. I mean, mm-hmm. you're knocking doors, and you're, you're talking to people face to face, you're probably getting doors slammed in your face. We probably, you know, you kind of, or you're having, you're also engaged in some probably pretty compelling conversations um you're also having to deal with the the weather i mean you're mm-hmm. running for office mm-hmm. you know during a, a bout of some pretty cold weather mm-hmm. um i mean i don't know if people really think about that and i don't know if anyone's going to feel sorry for people running for office but i mean how's that been uh, trying to contend you with know, that
1: it's a strange experience walking up to people's doors i hadn't knocked on people's doors other than like taking my daughter to sell girl scout cookies so i mean just interacting with your neighbors that you haven't talked to or just strangers not knowing who's going to be at that door is a very strange experience but to me it's been wonderful like it's made me very much more present it's made me really consider what's important to me Mm because you know sometimes people say things to me that um, I could take offense at the kinds of things they're talking about but I'm trying to just listen and be more open to what they have to say first Mm -hmm. Um, they usually aren't asking me to explain anything to them they Mm -hmm. want me to understand where they're coming from and so that's been really good for me as a listener. Yeah. And then I like the weather. It takes me back to when I used to play soccer and I was outside all the time. I I haven't been out that much in a long time. I kind of wish I had better training as a scout to, like, prepare myself for the weather but yeah, yeah. people are pretty empathetic when the weather's bad that's true and then I find you know a lot of people don't answer the door and I may know that they're home but that's okay because I kind of feel like if they really don't want to talk to me I don't want to force them to so
0: yeah, yeah. well you're dealing with the cold now you're going to deal with the, mm-hmm. the hot yeah last summer I had <laughs> in the summer so very hot yeah. uh, you'll get too extreme well mm-hmm. it's the last question I want to ask you one more and um and the question is you know there's been a lot of uh focus in recent years on um the lack of female representation in the legislature um, and, but what's interesting about that is, uh, in, in a story in the Oklahoma, a couple years ago, the 2016 election had saw more female candidates um, than the last two cycles combined. Mm. So there's more running. We haven't seen the numbers really uh, shift greatly yet. Um, but I'm going to ask you. I mean, how much of a, I mean, how important is it to add to those numbers? And we always hear about the difference in, you know. Women sometimes have to be asked multiple times to run, and just kind of, and, and men will just do it, <laughs> mm-hmm. just decide on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I mean, just kind of t- running as as, as, a, as a woman. Can you kind of talk about the importance of kind of adding to those numbers um, in the legislature, especially during kind of you know tough budget times, and when you say that voters are really kind of fed up with the dysfunction?
1: Yeah, I, I do think that that's a change some people are ready for. Um, I've certainly, especially talking to older women, some of them are like, we need some more women there. And they're thinking about, but you know, I'm not, all women are not the same. All men are not the same. But I do think that we need more voices at the table, more parity in terms of perspectives and what people are willing to talk about and how they function. So that's really good. And then I found great resources. Sally's List has been a huge resource for me as a candidate, and they focus on female candidates. So that's helped me become aware of the research about women in office. Um, and encouraged me to run. I wouldn't have thought of it if somebody hadn't encouraged me.
0: Yeah, well, like I said, there's been an increase in those that are running, and that's kind of the first step to you know actually having the legislature reflect more of that. So, yeah,
1: research shows that when women run, they win at the same rate as yeah. men. It's just they don't run. So,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like yeah. I said, sometimes it takes uh, mm-hmm. being asked to do so, where mm-hmm. us guys sometimes will just decide just <laughs> decide to do it. It just comes to us, and we'll do it. Um, but anyways, well, Julia Kerr, thank you so much for your time today. Good luck to on the here. campaign trail. And I'm thank sure you. we'll talk again as yeah. we uh, go through this election year. Well, you're listening and watching, to, watching Political State. We'll be back right after this quick break. Hello, and welcome back to Political State from the Oklahoman. I'm Ben Felder, and for the second segment, we are back in the studios and with the Political State crew, which is Dale Denwalt, who returns after a break last week. You were doing something while we were working here. Just taking a nap. Yeah, at the Capitol, <laughs> in, your little, in your little cubby in the press room. And uh, from the uh, federal government beat, uh, Justin Wingeter. Uh, anything interesting going on today, yeah, Justin? No,
2: no news at all. No, what well, going uh, to talk
0: about? Government, uh, possible government shutdown uh, coming up. Uh, it is January nineteenth. It's a Friday. It's like two forty-eight as we're recording this right now. So who knows what's going to happen? If things are happening right now. This is probably the only time of your day you haven't been checking for updates. Uh, but we'll get into that a little bit, um, what the impact could mean in Oklahoma, what'll be interesting to watch. Uh, but let's start with the state government, Dale. Um, the budget, which continues to be the main talking point for the state legislature, a group of business leaders came out with a proposal last week. A Series of tax increases includes Uh, raising the uh, tax on oil and gas production. There's a cigarette tax, a fuel tax. It's just kind of the whole whole spectrum um, to try to fill this budget hole. Um, Sessions not started yet, but how is this being received at the Capitol? Or is anybody talking about it?
3: Well, I I think it's uh, being received sort of uh, mediocrely. uh, Maybe Uh, there's uh, obviously a lot of support behind it from the supporters, um, but... uh, it's, uh, it's important to note that really the only people who were there at that uh, news conference were the people uh, who were on that step-up committee. Um, uh, so far, there hasn't been a lot of support uh, expressed publicly by lawmakers. Uh, however, this, these, aren't, um, these aren't new ideas. Uh, these aren't uh, you know, ideas that are so out of the fold that you can't imagine some kind of budget being built on it. Um, what it really comes down to is, is finding the, the right sort of um, uh, balance, I guess, between it all and convincing enough lawmakers that it's the right thing to do. Um, that re- still remains to be seen. Uh, I was, if you want to update on where the special session is right now, I was talking to a, a Republican leader who told me uh, basically they're the same place they were a month ago, uh, really nowhere.
0: Yeah, well, you, so you say special session because we're in the middle of one, the second of this past year yeah. to complete last year's budget or this current year's budget. The regular session of legislature will begin next month and that's when they'll start preparing for the next fiscal year budget. Um, you talk about, you know, the, it all comes down to getting those votes. Uh, there's so many moving parts of this proposal. Uh, some may look at that and say, hey, you're casting a wide net. Everyone's paying a share. It also means you have every special interest group is going to be interested and have an opinion on this and lawmakers that have their, their focus areas are going to have to be convinced uh well, let's talk about the democrats what's the democrats response been because you know as we saw last year um they're a major hurdle in, in anything i that mean gets passed.
3: democrats still want seven percent on the gross production tax and although there are uh, attractive parts of this to democrats um i think you'll probably see about the, the same number of votes on uh, a budget package uh, put up like this that you saw on uh, House Bill 1054 in November that was sort of the A-plus budget proposal, the mm-hmm. one uh, everyone you know w- thought was going to pass or at least had the best chance of passing. It included a 4% um, uh, uh, gross production tax and it would have ultimately funded teacher and state employee pay raises. Uh, but the coalition um, never materialized. Because even though uh, that version of the bill gained Democrats, it also lost Republicans. And and I think uh, um, you know they would probably come down uh, just about the same on this. I haven't polled them. yeah, uh, But yeah, I, w- I would kind of expect something like that.
0: Yeah, we say that they want that 7% gross production tax. Is that kind of, I mean, I, I, I think about, there's an effort to put that before a vote of the people, yeah. a 7% gross production tax. Um, there's an effort right now to put that on a future ballot, maybe as early as November. That's before the state supreme court right now. Is that right? There's been some challenges to that.
3: That's right. They're they're trying to get it on the ballot. And what it is, it's uh, it's a proposal by actually uh, a group of oil and gas um, uh, company uh, folks, and uh, they say, you know, let's go ahead and, you know, raise raise it to seven for everybody. Uh, typically, the, the the group that, that is supporting the uh, the state question, the proposed state question, uh, are Owners of wells that already pay 7% yeah. of the older wells. And they, they want a little bit more parity and they want to send that money, the new money, directly to uh, education. Now, uh, the um, uh, owners, uh, uh, operators of uh, newer wells that enjoy the 2% tax rate now, they've actually challenged the mm-hmm. law and the proposal in the Supreme Court. Uh, we're still waiting on uh, some final responses to come in. Uh, the next uh, slate of uh, filings will be due by the 2nd of February, right before session starts. Uh, but right now, you know, they haven't even started gathering signatures. They basically just showed their intent to begin, uh, begin campaigning. Uh, and really, this s- proposed state question hasn't gone very far, and uh, the opponents of it certainly want to uh, essentially kill it before it gets any further. Yeah. Well,
0: you know, I bring that up because... Um, with this budget proposal that was unveiled last week uh, there are some oil and gas interests that are behind it and are some saying hey we don't you know we want we're backing raising it to four percent it may not be what we want but you know we want to see something done how much of a motivation do you think it is that if something doesn't get done that Oklahomans may get the opportunity to vote on a seven percent one and depending on who you talk to there's some that say that they feel like it would pass
3: yeah, well, it, it's, it, you have to think about it in a vacuum, though. Um, this is, you're thinking, you, you can't think about it without millions and millions of dollars being spent against a potential state question like this, mm-hmm. and uh, people with a lot of money can be very convincing to voters. Um, so yeah, while, a lot could
0: change by Election Day, of course. Sure,
3: um, but yeah, if, 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 there's, if there's absolutely nothing that gets done as far as new revenue, uh, or at least the kind of revenue that the state needs to fill the hundreds of millions of dollars in budget gaps we keep seeing every year, then, you know, you're probably gonna see a lot more frustration at, uh, among voters come November when they're gonna be asked to vote on, on things like, uh, like this.
0: Yeah, well I just wonder, cause like I said, you have some oil and gas groups that are supporting this and, you know, if they're willing to do 4%, um, they may see the counter as seven. And granted, that was on yeah. the table last year, but we know that wasn't going to go anywhere in the legislature. Democrats mm. want it. They have enough power to stop a vote or stop a budget bill, but they don't have enough power to pass their own, obviously. Um, but as this proposal to go on the ballot kind of moved its way forward, um, you know, you wonder if they're starting to think, hey, let's get 4% done now instead of risk, something yeah, you know, the, worse for us.
3: The, the, that, was a, that was an accusation by the uh, by the proponents of this proposed state question. Um, Don't really know, you know, if if that was uh, sort of a motivator for these other companies to get on board, Um, you know, but we saw both the OIPA and the uh, Oklahoma Oil and Gas Association jump on board about the same time uh, with Step Up Oklahoma. Um, And uh, obviously, you know, if if you can sort of nip it in the bud, you know, why not do it?
0: Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. Well, let's jump from one budget problem to another. So, Justin, at the federal level right now, um, (laughs) do we know? I don't know. Maybe there's a deal in place. The countdown clocks are all over cable yes. news right now. We have probably, what, T-minus six or seven hours or something like that.
2: Well, it's midnight, so yeah, as, Whatever time as hour, we record this, yeah. about, nine, about nine hours. Nine right? hours, okay. Yeah. Uh, we're no closer to a deal. They're no closer to a deal than they are were this morning. Uh, it's uh, it's a holdup in the Senate now. The House passed their bill last night. Uh, the Senate can't come to an agreement. They need 60 votes. so They need Democratic Votes. They need. uh, They're going to lose some Republicans as well. Some for various reasons. Democrats want uh, DACA, an issue you've written about quite a bit, uh, to be in that bill. They don't want a clean continuing resolution. It's a pretty clean resolution. Has some other stuff in it, but and they, but not the immigration measures that they want. So it's uh, it's going to be close. I've been. Spending much of my day talking with people around here about uh, what would happen if there was a shutdown. Um, still waiting to hear back from Tinker. But we have heard from the Department of Defense you could have furloughs of non-essential employees, civilian employees, all enlisted employees will remain. Uh, you could have a delay in uh, paying those employees that are either essential civilians or uh, all military members. They would continue to work, they would continue to be paid to earn money, mm-hmm. but that those payments won't come until you have a government that can fund them. So
1: yeah.
2: that's where we're at right now. Uh, you know, things like the Oklahoma City Memorial would stay open because it has foundation money. Um, the courthouse told me, the federal courthouse told me it can remain open for three weeks. It has money set aside, uh, contingency money basically for, this, for something like this. And so it can do three weeks. Um, you know, the the VA is going to stay open. That's a separate pool of money. So the VA hospital will remain open. So it's just a matter of uh, tracking down some of these uh, individuals still waiting to hear from the FAA about the Monroni Center. I mean, that's a big one. Uh, and, and Tinker is obviously the biggest, the biggest state employer, uh, the biggest employer in the state. So uh, a lot to remain remains to be seen. Uh, if they do not strike a deal, I would put it at about 50-50. When the White House budget director this morning said it's, uh, it's about 50-50 about whether we have a shutdown, and I don't think that's changed since this morning. So you could say it gets a little more likely, I guess, as time goes on. <clears throat> so maybe it's 55-45 or something, but it's whatever it is. It's, uh, it could happen. It, it could very well could not happen.
0: So. Yeah. Well, a lot of, you know, a lot of people are going to be watching or listening, you know, whether Saturday, Sunday, or next week. Uh, so whatever's going to happen is going to happen, obviously. Um, but the so let's talk about the, the politics of it a little bit here because there's, got, there's kind of there's some parallels right now at at the in Congress with the legislature because you know both are controlled by Republicans. Um, you Democrats
2: know, are surging
0: yeah, and gaining more momentum. Little, yeah, there's some parallels there. You know, you know when you listen to the news today, the re- reports you have Republicans who are trying desperately to paint this as the Democrats who are going to be the ones to shut down the government if it happens. Um, and then the, re- the rebuttal from the Democrats as it is at the state level is like, you guys control everything. How can we be how can we be at a fault here? Um, and you know, depending on the polling you look at, I mean, most people kind of understand that for casual observers of politics, which is most of Americans at the very at the best, right? Um, if the government shuts down, you kind of blame who's ever at the top, right? And and that's kind of what I think the Republicans in the legislature have. I mean, they're not dealing with the shutdown, but with this budget mess, I mean, they've tried to say, hey, the Democrats are not going to play ball here.
3: But they're really worried about it. Yeah, and and, and it shows in, in the the kind of bills they're introducing, the way they're talking, their willingness to raise taxes. Um, it shows how serious that. Uh, the Republicans see both the, the situation, the real situation, and the political situation.
0: Yeah.
3: And I, it's probably the same at the federal level.
0: Yeah. And can
2: you imagine the amount of uh, public lobbying and advertising that would go in if there's a public, uh, if there's a ballot measure to bring up the GPT to 7%. Oh, yeah. That would be the TV ad revenue uh, subsidy act of 2018. <laughs> that would. The yeah. amount—I mean—the amount of public lobbying. We've we saw—I mean—lobbying in the legislature when they were considering it, and that was a relatively short-term time span that they had to even lobby. I mean, if you knew it was going to be on the ballot months out. Uh, I think there would just be an enormous public lobbying campaign. There's a bit of a sidetrack there,
0: but. No, it's a great point, and I've thought about that too, because if you are in uh, you know, the political PR game right now, if you run campaigns, if, if you yeah. print flyers, I mean, whatever you do, this is you're probably salivating over this. Um, and you're right, the TV ads, I don't know, maybe newspaper ads. And, it's, and, and it's not
3: just the oil and gas companies. Um, you have uh, the people who would be supportive of a 7% uh, gross production tax increase. You know, that's national uh, Democrats and progressive organizations, um, the wind inter- industry, which is really at odds right now with uh, Oklahoma's oil and gas industry, um, as and you know those those groups have a lot of money that they can pour into uh, into campaigns, into ads and um, uh, door hangers. I know.
0: Well, it would be somewhat of a, I mean, it would be a national, there would be a little bit of a national spotlight. If it was on the November ballot, of course, there was a lot of other things going on at that time. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. I think nationally Democrats would look at this, especially when you have a president right now um, that they believe is, you know, so supportive of oil and gas. And, and there's been kind of a response from that on the progressive side that, yeah, I mean, if they could point to Oklahomans and say, hey, even Oklahomans are looking to. And I think I, we've talked about this before. I think nationally what happens in Oklahoma that gets misinterpreted? I mean, there's local mm-hmm. issues at play here. You're gonna have a, if it passed, you would have oil and gas workers and supporters saying yes to that tax, but obviously are still very supportive of growing oil and gas industry. Right. Um, but the local budget is it would be the driver. But yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, that would be a um, kind of a field day of of political coverage a little bit. It'd be very an interesting thing to watch. Would, um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you're right. With what we're seeing, I mean, so you talk about, I mean, we're having, conversa- I don't know if people realize this as much, we're having conversations. Republicans are saying things today that, you know, just a few years ago would be unimaginable. I mean, you know, supporting some tax increases.
3: Right, uh, it's, it's almost unrecognizable. Uh, you know, I've been at the state capitol for about a decade now, more or less, following state politics. And uh, the, the tone is completely reversed. Uh, even, even about three or four years ago, um, uh, asking the, the budget appropriation chair at the time, you know, is it a, is it a good idea to, to, to hold off on the next income tax trigger? And them saying, no, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. You know, we can continue lowering uh, tax revenue. You know, I don't think you'd hear anything like that now. Yeah. In fact, you know, um, uh, there, there's support for, for uh, even considering raising income taxes. I'm sure in the Republican caucus, and you know this—it's—it's uh, it's troubling times to, uh, make for uh, uh, un- unusual uh, behavior. Yeah. Uh, not just among Republicans, but uh, Democrats as well. It just when, when reality hits you in the face, how do you react?
0: Yeah, well there's one, there's a lot more I know, but there's one Republican that's still against taxes and that would be Todd Lamb. Yeah. And uh, we saw some reporting this week. Uh, I mean, and Lamb had, you know, lieutenant governor running for governor had told us as much when he came on the podcast last month. It wasn't a shocker, but the Oklahoman's Chris Castile reporting that as he's talking to voters, he's continued to say, hey, T- tax increases none of them I'm not for any of them I don't think that's that's the way to go um, you are seeing some Republican candidates that are maybe sympathetic to that idea but Lamb is obviously as we, we head towards the primaries I mean that's the the lane he's going to go down
3: mm-hmm. well obviously um, he's got some kind of polling right that shows that the people who will uh, be um, voting for him in uh, the primary election want to hear him say that um, and uh, you know I, I'm not saying that he doesn't personally believe that, but uh, I think it totally makes sense that when you're running in a Republican primary, even now, um, you want to be sort of the anti-tax candidate.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Well, and go ahead. Yeah. How many
2: Republicans are running right now on the agenda of Mary Fallon? Is there a Mary Fallon Republican that that says these were? I want to continue the years of uh, the Fallon administration.
0: That's a great point. I, I mean, I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody is. I don't know that. I don't know how many are running in the opposite direction. Lamb a little bit, uh, you know. I mean, especially last year we saw this. I mean, he, he, you know, he was. He's the closest to her orbit, obviously, uh, when you know being a part of her cabinet and, and moving away from that. So there may be a little bit of him. I mean, he's distancing himself from Fallon. Other than that, you're right. I don't see anybody that's running, you know, for her agenda or against it really. I mean I don't you know people hearing bring up I don't hear a lot of people bringing up her name a lot, but uh, but yeah that's a great point. I mean I think Lamb would be the obvious example of someone who's maybe running away from that a little bit because yeah. she you know talk about things that would not be said. I mean, you know, the governor of Oklahoma, a Republican governor of Oklahoma is proposing tax increases and has been for a couple of years. That's something that would have been I mean the beginning of her of her term would would have been <laughs> unimaginable, right?
3: <laughs> the house may have a her for it. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if there's anyone really closely aligned um, on the campaign trail with Governor Fallon uh, and sort of where she's at in regards to what she wants to do with the budget. Um, I, I think you know there's a lot of similarities between her and the other candidates when it comes to business um, and, and other topics that she's uh, uh, really talked about over the last uh, and, and focused on over the last eight years. Uh, but you know, when it comes to taxes, I think she stands alone.
0: Yeah, well, so Lamb, uh, you know, is, you know, we're talking he was anti-tax is, is so far where he's built his campaign. Um, you know, we saw some polling come out this week, and we've seen, we've heard some you know internal polls, a sooner poll. If I remember in right with all the numbers in front of me, uh, Mayor Mick Cornett was leading. I think Lamb right. was in second. Um, that may be to be expected. I think we've kind of viewed those two as the going to be battling to be the front runners. But so let's say let's call Lamb a, a front runner, at least one of the front runners um, on the Democratic side. Drew Edmondson, uh, one of two Democratic candidates, and probably the, the, a strong favorite to win that that party's nomination, he comes out this week. Um, Chris Castile reporting in today's paper. Uh, you know he's one of those that is supporting a seven percent gross production tax. I mean he has a tax increase proposal. What's interesting to me. Um, you know, if Lamb is a potential winner of the primary and there's a lot, you know, that's unknown yet, um, there's still a lot to go. But, uh, you know, Lamb may be setting himself up going into a general being really anti-tax and Edmondson may be setting himself up going into a general being the pro-tax candidate. So there may be a stark division there. Most Oklahomans are probably somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
3: and, and I could probably tell you that both of those uh, candidates or all the candidates really want the legislature to, legislature to sort this all out oh, yeah. before November. Um, but, yeah, you know, it, it could come down to the, uh, to the, to the uh, side of uh, where does Oklahoma want our, our uh, tax base to come from? Um, do they want an additional, you know, 5% uh, uh, on the production of oil and gas? That's the question.
0: Yeah, it will be very interesting to follow. A um, shutdown yet, Justin? Are we still? Do we know? Is there some kind of alarm I haven't checked on your phone my phone in the last 15 minutes. <laughs> as
2: we wrap up here, we well, can't have a shutdown yet. We may have a deal yet. A deal. I mean, we can't have, have, have a shutdown yet. You're right? We're not to
0: midnight so. yet. So we don't have a deal in place. I mean, I guess they could just walk away and say it ain't happening. That's probably not likely. They'll, they'll, they'll hold out hope until the last minute.
3: Or <laughs> well, they could just c- cover the clocks like they used to do in the State House, yeah, in the State Capitol. <laughs> they would cover the clocks so no one would know what time it is, and uh, you know, so they they could continue legislating well beyond midnight.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, they all have clocks, they all have phones, so they'll, they'll be very well versed in what the time is. So, well, uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Political State. We cannot report, we cannot confirm or deny that there's been a, a government deal, a budget deal at the federal level. But whatever happens, uh, our Justin Wingeter will have will have the story <laughs> one way or the other. And whatever happens in session, obviously, uh, you'll have that story, although you have a little bit more time yeah. to cover that budget Co- issue. A couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, it's coming up quick. New session. So. <laughs> Well, uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Political State with Justin and Dale. I'm Ben with The Oklahoman. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you again next Friday.